Hello, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent, here with my co-host, Sean Cheatham. And today we have a special guest with us, uh, John William Noble, a pastor of Grace Baptist Church Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, he's also involved in other ministry work over there in the UK, which we'll be talking about today. Uh, pastor John William, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for inviting me on again. Sure, absolutely. Um, so we're going to be talking about your ministry, um, really an update, because last time you gave us kind of an overview of what your work is over there in Scotland. But this is kind of more of an, an update on your work since we talked last. I think that was uh, when you were starting Parisia. Um, so we're going to talk about more about that today. And Sean, if you want to go in and kick us off, um, we can discuss uh, the ministries. Yeah. So it, I was looking earlier today and it actually wasn't that long ago that we had you on it. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Could it, I could have sworn it was last year, but it was actually in January. But um, just to remind our audience, uh, what is your ministry, uh, Parousia? What is what is the purpose of it? So we 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 assess the situation of reformed Baptist content that was available in America, and we saw that there were a few publishers over the in the states from our perspective that were producing some great stuff, but there there was a a bit of a limitation in terms of how much there is here in the UK and in Europe. So between Daniel and I, we, we talked about setting up a, a publisher where the focus would be on high quality production in terms of the books themselves and certainly the content being gospel driven and Reformed Baptist in its convictions in many places and with a view to being a benefit and blessing to the local church. Amen. Yeah. And, and we've already seen that starting to flourish and, and take off even more um, in the UK. So and I'm, I might ask some off the cuff questions here, but um, is the reception to Parisa been pretty big over in the UK, at least in Scotland so far among the churches? I mean, it's an interesting question because we've kind of seen things in phases. So the first phase was obviously when we launched the idea via Kickstarter mm -hmm. and there was some interest in the idea of bringing out a, a copy of the confession. But I mean, realistically in Scotland, there would maybe be roughly a dozen churches that would be reformed Baptist confessional. There's a, a, a number of, a, a number more in, in England. So there was a bit more interest there, but I think out with reformed Baptist kind of circles at that stage, there wasn't so much, but I think as this has gained more, more interest and traction, with the support it's got globally, it has drawn more attention and interest from people here in Scotland, just increasingly so as we've as we've met other kind of stages. We had a conference in January. We obviously mm. have been doing a, a few different kind of blog related series and then the release of the books recently. So all of these things have helped to just increase the profile a bit about what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. And it, it's interesting, too, because Reformed Baptist circles are kind of small. Um, so it, I think that probably helped with uh, getting the word out there about Parisia and the work that you guys are doing, um, as opposed to some massive organization or association that you're having to traverse. Yeah. Now, you guys, you know, going back to the Kickstarter, uh, were you guys able to reach that campaign goal? And, and what are the next steps that you guys see with Parisia? 
Yeah, so I mean, just to kind of remind people, just in case that some people maybe don't even know, when we when we launched the Kickstarter project back in autumn, we we had a target of maybe around about three thousand pounds that we thought we needed to raise in order to bring out an edition of the Confession, and because that we met that stretch goal, that target goal initially within 33 hours we introduced stretch goals and there were additions to what it is that we aim to release so by the end of December when we reached the deadline date we'd made triple the amount that we'd expected to raise as a minimum and by then Daniel and I were already talking about turning our second book uh, a sort of accompanying paperback into multiple books so what ended up happening as a result of that is we had the Baptist Confession and three additional paperbacks so I might as well do I do some product product placement sure go right ahead for it um just in case people haven't seen this so this is the, the the confession and this has been the main work that we we focused on doing this was what we advertised this was what was attractive to so many people why they got behind it and i mean we've had a few people in the uk who've got copies who've already been positive about what they've seen i mean it's a it's, it's a hardback it's cloth it's a cloth hardback with the, the jacket and it's it's got the chapters inside um i mean i won't give too much of a spoiler away but we obviously most of us will be aware of the content so this was the main work uh, and that went relatively according to our plan but in terms of the paperbacks we we, we effectively broke it into the three so we've got benjamin keach's uh, a short confession of faith and this was an original planned work that we were going to include along with the the Baptist catechism. So, yeah, we, we, we didn't we kept it blank in terms of the, the, the author of that one. And we also as a stretch goal. And this was some job to, to edit this work. Uh, the Unorthodox Catechism by Hercules Collins. This is a, a much thicker, thicker work. And I mean, that was a really, it was a very interesting book to be working through. I mean, I certainly benefited from it. So that, that, that's eventually what we, what we were aiming to, to get done. And because of the COVID restrictions and just a few other delays that came along the way, things were a bit slower than we would have anticipated. But we're now at a stage literally of June of this year where the books have now finally arrived and we're already getting a lot of expressed interest. So I've, in the past few days, I've been contacted by different bookstores in four continents about these books. Oh, wow. A number of people have been asking about how to access them. So one of the things that I did on, on top of spending time with Daniel and another brother who's been very helpful in this work, Darren Gilchrist, in getting these books packaged and ready to be distributed to the Kickstarter backers was also just to give a, an update in a latest blog that I released regarding how people can buy our books, because obviously people are wondering, well, how can we get them? So just to explain the infrastructure, because what, where we're at now is we've gone from being an idea to, I mean, well, an established publisher in the context of at the very early stages. So we, we thought it would be important that we had distribution options realistic both in the UK and America if possible so we, we've we've already arranged a, a distributing platform in the UK called Almond Smith Limited so if you've heard of Oliver Almond Smith uh, so it's kind of I mean it's a business it's not necessarily directly connected with his his church but uh, this is a business that, that, that he runs and that's going to be a 
a great help for getting books sent out to Europe and other parts of the world. But as far as America and Canada is concerned, because we know that there's quite a significant market there, we wanted to get a potential, at least short-term, distribution agreement made. So we've managed to get an arrangement with Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in La Merida, that's uh, Sam Renahan's church. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're going to be supporting us for the, for the coming months just to take basically a, a, a number of boxes of these books to get to the Kickstarter campaign backers. And if there's anyone else in that part of the world who want to buy books, then it's going to be a lot cheaper in terms of postage and it'll be a lot quicker in terms of arrival. Obviously, the one thing that needs to be qualified right now, which will not be a problem in the future, is, well, we just need time now to make sure these books get to these various places. So people in the UK are already getting them. People in America, unfortunately, have to wait a bit longer. But I mean, it's just um, hopefully for some people, it's wetting their appetite. Although I know some who've been backing us since last year are already they've already been waiting so long. So I, I, I am thankful that people have been patient. But I mean, at least uh, the what they're getting actually is more than they would have backed us for because we're now producing four books that that's worth a lot more money in terms of content price than it would be in terms of what we asked for a backing then at least even though it's been a longer wait the quantity and we hope and pray to quality is going to be high and people will be thankful about that so that's kind of where we're at and in addition to that as well as hoping our books will be available in some bookstores we're also going to have an online shop which will be a means of accessing the books <clears throat> Wow, that, that sounds great. And I'm definitely looking forward to getting my hands on those. Um, so in terms of how you've laid out the, the confession and an Orthodox catechism, what uh, what is unique about uh, the way you guys put those together? Oh, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that we advertised about this is, I mean, there's many different approaches that people have taken, especially with the confession, because there's a number of additions there. So uh, Daniel and I were keen to ensure that the, the content was... As, as close to its original writing uh, as possible. We, we, we did make slight editorial changes with a, a very small number of words that maybe just would be very difficult to make any sense of today. And we also had to make some editorial decisions in terms of a, of a few scripture pr proofs that were debatable. Uh, I mean, we, we actually realized doing this work that a lot of the kind of confession options to buy or view confession material online some of the scripture proofs are a bit questionable here and there i mean we, we were we, we tried to be supremely thorough with this i mean we we took a long time just to make sure we were making the right calls with anything that was difficult and the scripture proofs themselves have the actual scriptures in them so uh, with oh, all of okay books, uh, you know, you can see, like, for example, this is uh, like one of the questions in the Orthodox Catechism. So you've got the question itself, and if you can see this, and then we've actually got the scripture proofs uh, un underneath that are actually laid out. Uh, so this is like Matthew 16, 19, that type of thing. So I, I think on some levels for many people that makes it more more readable in the sense that, you know, you can actually kind of work your way through it and you've got the scriptures there. So it's, I mean, it's certainly something that I know... The Westminster standards that the Banner of Truth brought out of the obviously the Presbyterian kind of confessional material. I mean that was a great blessing, and there's not really something comparable in the Reformed Baptist doctrine books, and so we believe we're filling a gap there. And certainly with the positive response we had, people seem to be in favour of that. 
Yeah, it seems that um, it, the Reformed Baptists kind of were, were catching up to our, our Presbyterian brethren. Who, <laughs> this, with, with kind of, I think it, it goes back to kind of the, the recovery of Reformed Baptist literature. You know, you have Sam and Jim Renahan really pushing uh, some of these older writings um, and, and trying to preserve it better. And I think you guys are doing that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess with, I mean, if you take the, the Banner of Truth are probably a, a good example because they, they have brought out some Reformed Baptist as well as Reformed Presbyterian mm. material. But uh, I mean, it, it's not, I mean, they're they're not Presbyterian, but obviously they've got a number of Presbyterians in there. And I guess certainly as we looked at it from the, the, the UK end, we, we, we certainly see, well, it's so important to, to be able to produce and bring out these these materials so they're accessible. But Again, we're also wanting to just raise people's understanding and the, the, the kind of profile of Reformed Baptist and what that means to be confessional. Because one thing I observe more and more as the years go on is there are a number of people, even like a kind of young men who are in ministry circles, who would say they're Reformed or they're kind of on the periphery. They're kind of wondering where they are in terms of their clear theological convictions. And just to kind of make people aware first of all well this this is where we're at this is what we're about this is our confession just to kind of present that as, as as an option for study and consideration and to see not just its historical significance but its contemporary relevance in the local church i mean we are so so serious about driving that point forward here in uk and beyond amen john you're muted <laughs> Oops. Um, I know you're probably very focused on um, getting all the uh, the current works out there, but uh, do you have any plans for what you're going to do next in terms of uh, books? We, we, we do. I mean, what at this stage, it's, it's just in the discussion base. I, I mean, I could probably say that we have thought and discussed in a bit more detail about a couple of other different but still historical materials that we may want to to release and we've began discussing the potential of, of some contemporary writing options as well I, I mean at this stage we wouldn't flesh that out any further because obviously you know we, we want to make make sure that we're, we're clear on the idea because uh, mm -hmm. we know we're already in a position where we've got we've got quite an, a number of people increasingly so who are following us and and obviously if we're announcing new things we want to be sure about that at that stage mm -hmm. with the kickstarter it was different because nobody knew who who we were or what this was so we had to get the idea out there but we, we're now in a position we have the luxury in this regard of being able to kind of really plan it out and get things just right before we even release this specific idea but i just to say we we, we are very set on not just making this a, a kind of one hit wonder we we do intend to bring out other works and to maintain whatever momentum has built from this. Mm -hmm. Switching subjects a little bit, you mentioned the blog that um, you guys have been running a series of blog posts on the 1689. How's that been received? Yeah, so uh, one one thing that we, we, we had done last year and just into this year is we, we, we brought out a, a series of blogs by different writers on kind of mainly related confessional topics and, and people were reading that. But one thing that we thought might be more helpful is if we had something that was specifically working through the confession. Now we know that there, there are, 
there are books and there have been writings on this. So we wanted to bring out a, a series of blog articles, a chapter per chapter in the confession. So basically an article per chapter in the confession, which had a, a kind of emphasis and application in the local church. So we, we've got to 10 chapters being covered in 10 articles. Uh, Dan's going to be the next one who's going to be contributing to <laughs> We're looking forward to that being released. But I mean, we've had some some kind of known known names who've been in the kind of Reformed Baptist circles contributing towards that. So we've had Dr. Nettles and Dr. Haken and Dr. Waldron, and we've had Virgil Walker, Jeremy Walker, and Sam Renahan, and a number of others. So uh, we've had people who, who really know their stuff, and not just in terms of being able to articulate and explain the, the details of the confession, but even in terms of its application also, which uh, I, I think has been has been a, a kind of positive aspect that people have benefited from, so much so that to this date, we've had the articles being translated into two languages. So on our website, if you find the 1689 blog series, you can actually get a link to the articles which have been translated into Spanish. I think we're about seven chapters in of the Spanish translation. Mm. Also now it's being translated into Portuguese. So I think only the first chapter has been done of that, but that will obviously be coming as the weeks go on. And there have been discussions about possibly in another language and you know maybe it will be in further languages too. So we wanted this to be a, a free resource. I mean, this is not something we're, we're charging. We're not bringing this out as a as a public published work, but we obviously want the, the the content to be consistent with what we're about, and just to further emphasize the importance of it. So, for example, we bring out a copy of the, the edition of the Confession. So, we want to give something that is giving a, an explanation of that significance. So, so that's been kind of the idea, and certainly a, a number of people have been writing about how they found the content has been very kind of high quality, excellent content, and certainly a number of the chapters I've read have been very, very happy and pleased with what's been put together. Yeah, I think that's that's good too because I I think there tends to be a disconnection between our confession. You know, we say we subscribe to this confession, but do we really know what it means and how it applies to us individually or, or to the church life in general? It does apply. It does have meaning in terms of how we carry out our church polity in life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So shifting now to more of the, the church's state uh, in Scotland, I know COVID, you know, we were talking right before the, the show, uh, you guys are still having quite a bit of restrictions there. Uh, can you provide us an update on the, the COVID situation from a judicial standpoint and the church? Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll I'll try to kind of be be brief and then get get to kind of some of the main updates because I, I suppose for people who've not been in the UK, some of what, what what's been happening in the UK has has been similar to places like America, but there have been some differences. So obviously, just briefly in terms of last year, there was the initial lockdown that came in the spring, and I mean for our church, we were in a, a rented premises, so we 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 we. we we were told well, we, you can't keep meeting there. So we were online for a season. But I mean, the, the very principle in place there of, of quarantining people who were well was already something that seemed biblically incompatible. And also with regards to role of government, we were looking to be very clear in terms of well, what is the role of government and what, what what's the role, the authority of the local church. So these were already things that we were kind of talking about and focusing on last year. And things began to become more about individual nations within the UK at the end of 
of 2020. So in England, I mean, it, there was no clear data either way, but in England, they, they announced a second lockdown in November, which included locking down churches for a month, but they didn't do that in Scotland. Now, mm. at that point, I was already articulating to our fellowship that if something like this comes here, which I thought it may do, that we wouldn't be doing another lockdown. And when that kind of ended and we were getting into December, they were positive about, well, vaccinations were coming. But then soon after, there was new variants that became the bigger concern. And by the end of the year, going into this year, it was becoming clear that, well, we're heading for another big lockdown. And in England, this time, they didn't lock down churches, but in Scotland, they decided to. <laughs> so, if you make, make, make sense of the logic. I mean, so at that point, for our fellowship, we, we were meeting in secret. But because we don't own our own building, it was, it was difficult. And it was obviously January, and in this part of Scotland, that means it's cold. So it, it wasn't easy. I mean, we've done outdoor services. We've obviously done indoor in secret locations, this type of thing. So that's where we were in January. But as well as being clear as a fellowship, a, a few things were, were, were also going on. So I felt it was important, given the fact that most church leaders even within evangelical circles in Scotland were saying nothing and some were even agreeing with what the government were doing mm. I felt it was important that well this needs to be challenged because I think I thought to myself even from a, a legal point of view the government are doing something that they're not supposed to be doing here by making it illegal to worship so I, I discussed with uh, an, another minister and he and I and a few others we put together a letter that was signed by a few hundred leaders in the UK to the Scottish government, just basically stating that this was not acceptable, please change this decision. So we did that in January, and it was partly to make a statement to the government, but also to the churches that the church's voice needs to be heard, that the worship matters, because we're beginning to get to a stage in January where, I mean, I was looking around and thinking, does nobody see that this is a problem, that mm. the gathering of the Lord's people is, is being consigned and resigned to some online function. So that, that was an increasing concern. So in addition to this, I was very thankful to see that uh, a kind of ministry organization called Christian Concern were keen to support a number of leaders, myself included, which was to basically request a judicial review of the, the, the legislation that had been passed. So this was to challenge the government's decision to make it illegal to worship. And a number of things took place and this lockdown continued all the way into March. And then when we got into March, we got to the stage where we got a date for the judicial review. Now, I think at that point, the government were thinking, well, the, the cases, the deaths, all this type of stuff, numbers are, are decreasing, so it's no big deal. We've done the lockdown, that's fine. But it was all the more important for us to maintain this challenge because we wanted to see, even on a legal basis, is this legitimate? And by God's grace, it was so overwhelming that the government did not know its own legis legislation that the impartial judge ruled in the church's favour and we were victorious, and the judge ruled that churches had to be open straight away. Now, wow. I, I'm not going to get into the whole Romans 13 thing here, but one one question I did raise following that was, 
for all the church leaders who'd been advocating for Romans 13 in obedience and compliance to the government, it then became very difficult to do that if the government itself don't know the law. I mean, we, we are in a, in a country in Scotland where our history is, our Christian heritage is built on people who were literally shedding blood for protecting and upholding our freedoms to worship. And the very least that I and others could do was to maintain fighting for that when the Scottish government couldn't provide the data. That was proved in terms of the severity of COVID in church contexts. And they clearly didn't understand worship. They were Mm. redefining worship, saying, you can do it online and we're going to tell you that. And this was the voice of a minority, but it was still the voice of the Church of Jesus Christ saying, no. And God was gracious uh, we were really crying out as when we've been working through the book of Habakkuk in wrath, remember mercy. And the Lord has been merciful in a nation where the church has become increasingly apostate. But I am thankful to other brothers in churches that were upholding and standing on the, the, the truth and the convictions of God's word. And it, it, it did have an impact. Uh, certainly a number of church leaders remain silent in, in Scotland, but I, I know that even churches and big kind of con- countries of churches around the world were looking at this result and seeing it as a positive victory. It wasn't that, from my perspective, we need the government's p- permission to worship God, but it was still important to make a statement in this nation, which just couldn't make sense that the church was getting a victory like this, that well, the, the church is not going to lie down to everything this government is going to say, especially when it comes to something as important as this. One other just brief thing to say in the context of our church, uh, and this I think is really relevant in Western Christianity. Every one of us, when we were contemplating what it meant and looked like to be effectively defying the government, That was a challenge that I think most Christians in the Western world have never experienced in our lifetimes. And though, I mean, the risk was not, I mean, it just was barely comparable to any serious persecution that Christians have faced in other parts of the world. But it was just the beginning of a test. And when when you pray for persecuted Christians in other parts of the world with a, a nice cup of cocoa and a blanket, that's one thing. But when you're actually just beginning to reconcile that issue, this was something that the members of our church had to face. And mm. we, we, we had different levels of struggle. Some were up for the start with, some had to really pray and discuss and think. And it, it's just been, it was such a blessing that by the time we got to March, we were all gathering to worship God, all of the members of our church, having gone through a really tough time. Had we just said, well, we'll go online again, we won't want to rock the boat, we wouldn't have gone through that. We wouldn't have been benefited and blessed from the challenge that that brought to us. And I think it really strengthened, united and galvanized us in a way that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Hmm. You know, brother, that's a great point about um, in terms of how the government regulates the church. When the government says you can't meet, they are actually telling you how you can worship God. And at that point, they have overstepped their bound because that is governed by scripture. That is in the church's realm. Government doesn't have the authority to tell us how we can and cannot worship. Yeah. Yeah. So you sort of were uh, talking about this a little bit already, but um, during during that time, how was church life for the church meeting in secret? How did um, how did that affect people? I mean, during during the time, I mean, 
what what we've always sought to do is when it, when it comes to something connected with let's say defying the government we we weren't plastering everything on social media as if we're wanting to sock it to our government or anything like that i mean we we were clear in terms of what we believe the bible teaches and we also wanted to be wise in our approach so for example with some of the the kind of government mandates and legislation that have been put in place even when it comes to the ban on worship there were still kind of aspects of wiggle room that we looked to to utilize so for example we were still making the service that we were meeting in secret available to those who weren't able to attend for whatever reason so we were providing this online offering which was permitted uh, so you know i guess it was a case of well we want to be wise in how we approach this situation i know that some some churches were even more uh, not in scotland i know that i know of but in other parts they were more direct in just making an open statement we're defying the government and i i, I understand why why churches took that approach i think the, the the difficulty as i saw it for our fellowship at least was this is the first time we've done something like this and we need to be in a in a clear and strengthened position i mean it could be that in a future scenario we may be more more direct in that manner but i mean we we took that course of action that we felt was was the right approach at the time and i would say there there were elements of well a slight degree of uncertainty of what if somebody comes but i think there was more a sense of well, we're here to worship God, we really fixed our gaze upon Christ, and that was a means of strengthening us. And we were in that setting for about nearly three months before the the, the, the judge ruled that we could be back, and the government were in line saying, oh yeah, you could go back for the Easter time, and we got back into our rented premises following that. And I mean, it, it wasn't about vindicating decisions, but obviously it was at least refreshing to know that even though at one point we were illegally breaking the law well we were actually adhering to the law because it was the government who didn't know the law anyway so mm. <laughs> it makes sense of that but yeah <laughs> and how has that led I, I know that you guys have advertised um possible uh the building of a new building uh, church building yeah so i mean so much has happened since we started meeting again in our rented premises i mean our numbers have literally doubled in the past three months which has been quite incredible I, one thing I've, I've, I've noted speaking to people or hearing people speak is that almost success stories for churches right now is if people are coming back I mean for us well we weren't going away we were meeting and so people have been now coming I think we've been getting some people who've been increasingly disgruntled or disillusioned in uh, whatever church setting they were in and obviously one big question I've had is well have you spoken to your church leadership we've had other people who've been coming because they've heard about some of the things that our church have done challenging this situation but even uh, on top of that when we've been going out to do street evangelism the last couple of times we've had people who we've met on the street then coming to the service one guy was then inviting others and we've been able to reach a number of people who have professed to be pagans or atheists or whatever and to preach Christ to them. And, and a number of these people have been coming back. So it's just been, I mean, it's been incredible to see what the Lord, Lord's been doing and the, the doors it's opened up in this regard. And 
we're we're already rejoicing that two women this year have have made credible professions of faith, and they're going to be baptized next Lord's Day a, a week tomorrow. And we'll be welcoming them and a couple of others into membership this month. And maybe by God's grace, we'll be welcoming more later into spring, later into the autumn time, perhaps. So with all of that going on, one practical difficulty is that in our rented premises just now, they're, I mean, they're basically too small. I mean, with or without social distancing, we're having to kind of put people right at the back of the hall. So it's been, you know, it's really been quite, quite, quite a, filled feeling and if we continue to grow we just won't be able to fit everybody into that space so again we've been so humbled by how the Lord has worked here because we weren't looking at a specific building option but in the area that we've been reaching uh, a brethren church which has been growing itself realized especially during the COVID kind of season that well they should be looking for a bigger premises and so they were thinking, well, what do we do with our current building? And they know about us. And they, one of the things that the members of that church were keen to have happen if they were to move into another building is that a biblical, conservative, evangelical church would buy the building and move in. So it just seems as though the Lord has worked in his providence. And now, as of this past week, we've now launched a, a kind of building a building project fund where we're aiming to raise uh, British currency a hundred thousand pounds by the first of October. So obviously we're we're advertising this. I mean, our, our, as a church, the members and the, those involved in our fellowship, we, we we see the the great importance of us giving sacrificially to this. But it's very likely that we'll need additional financial support, and so. If anyone can can just give this much prayer and anyone feels led to give, then it would be a great blessing because the, the, the need in this increasingly hostile country for biblical churches, of which there are so few, is, is significant. And how the Lord's blessing a, a church plant here in Aberdeen has been, has been a, a joy to see. But this would be a, a big step forward for what we can do. So, yeah, would greatly value prayer and any other support on that. Where would they go to uh, donate? So we've got a church website. It's called graceaberdeen.org. And you could forward slash, right, forward slash building dash fund. But if you go into graceaberdeen.org, you you can see it on the homepage or at the the top of the menu if you find building fund. And then there's a link where you can donate. There's also a promotional video that we've put together just to give a bit more explanation and just some images of the, the building itself. Excellent. Those are, um, you know, it is really neat to see how it, we've had similar um, effects from COVID where it seems like the church is growing more in spite of restrictions and in spite of, uh, you know, the world's opposition to the church. And we've had people come to our church whose church closed down and they don't have anywhere to worship and they just start bleeding in and then they stay. Yeah. So it, it's really neat to see how the Lord works in his church in that way, in spite of men's um, yeah. desires yeah. to suppress it. Or in this case, because of their desire. Yeah, Although, because of their desire, yeah. I will say um, a lot of it was because even though um, the restrictions actually ended, uh, a lot of churches just of their own volition remained closed. So a lot of people yeah. just came into our fellowship yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, um, that, that's been a big issue here. I mean, even the two times I've I've been on holiday, which has just been in Scotland, I've I've seen... I look at church buildings and I see they've got closed because of COVID signs, even during mm. times where 
like even the government are not saying you need to be closed. Uh, and some have been waiting until it seems everyone's vaccinated or something. And I, I'm thinking, well, when does this end? Are you? I mean, because if there's, there's more variants, I mean, are you going to keep locking down in the next winter? Uh, you know, and it's just been, it, it's been, it, it's just highlighted a lot of issues in in, in terms of the, the the life, state, and health of the church. Uh, and and I've I've greatly lamented and cried over that. Hmm. Yeah, per, you know, pushback or or persecution tends to bring out what we really think in our hearts and the, the church's state. I think. Hmm. Yep. All right. Um, moving on to our next topic, I, I know you're involved in a Christian school or setting up a Christian school in Aberdeen. Um, what led you to create the school, and, and what is the state of public education in Scotland? So, uh, I mean, when when I came up to Aberdeen, uh, my my son Amos at that point he was about two two and a half, or yeah, maybe not quite two and a half, but yeah, he was over two. And my wife was due to give birth to our daughter, who's called Andean, and we, we we talked about well what 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 do we do here because I mean we knew we weren't going to send our ch- children to state school and we'd already started talking about home education which I think for many parents is a a very important and right thing to do but we also thought well maybe there's some who may feel that's a great struggle or it would be difficult to make such a step and I began to think and pray well another very important option for Christian parents moving forward would be to have a Christian school because there isn't such a thing here in the northeast of Scotland apart from Mm. Catholic school and I I guess in line with that just to maybe explain why this is so needed I mean the state of state education in Scotland I mean it's I mean it's it's increasingly shocking by the year I mean some of the the, the, the liberal, godless, wicked, uh, just abominable either legislation or indoctrination that's infiltrating the school, even in the past decade, has just been an eye-opener for anyone who's who's seen it firsthand. I mean, children as young as nursery age, age three or four, being exposed to adult content, which is content that also contradicts scripture. So, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I don't need to go into the details of some of the things. I think, you know, we would have the idea in terms of issues of gender and sexuality and the like. So with, with all that going on, it, I mean, it became very apparent that, well, there was actually a, a need for this because increasingly so parents were asking questions, many of whom had never really given Christian education much serious thought but as a result of how bad it has become in state education more people were asking that question so uh, I had a a number of initial discussions with people and because obviously there's no other Reformed Baptist uh, church or or, or school in this area uh, I thought it most prudent to have communication with the two Reformed Presbyterian churches that were confessional in the city. One in one in particular was the one that I ended up kind of effectively partnering with. So we kind of saw the common ground over kind of almost 90 percent of our confessional common ground in that regard to form what would have been the the doctrinal clarity that we believed we needed, first of all, in order to establish this. And in addition to this, we then found that a similar situation had happened in Glasgow. So there's a a network of Christian schools being established. It's called Melville Knox Christian Schools. 
and we 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 effectively partnered with them and took on their constitution. We we formed a board uh, amongst the reformed believers of different the different churches, and we also were able to secure the building of the Reformed Presbyterian Church, Grace Reformed Church in Aberdeen, and that's already been agreed as a suitable building for a school. We've also advertised this possibility to prospective parents and we've had a a great interest from that even in recent times we've had more people asking about the school when will it start so there's been a lot of exciting momentum but the one thing that we would very much value prayer about is the fact that we've not been able to secure a teacher so Mm -hmm. one of the difficulties has been we've had at least two people who would have been very suitable from overseas but partly because of the COVID restrictions and partly because getting registration in Scotland is becoming increasingly difficult. It's just not been feasible right now to be able to employ them. So we had hoped that we might even launch in at the end of this summer, but we've put the start date back to January of next year. So yeah, if, if, I mean, certainly if anyone's listening, they, they, they know of anyone who potentially could be suitable. I know if it's outside of Scotland, it might be increasingly difficult, but we are looking into what options we can have to, to maybe even facilitate that as the COVID situation eases. But we, we'd value prayer because if we get the, the right teacher, because we'd rather wait than employ somebody who's not right, because this would be the kind of pioneering role. It would be like a, a head teacher type of role. So it's obviously crucially important that they see that vocational element to this. So uh, yeah, that that that's been the the kind of big stumbling block here. So apart from that, we're we're giving thanks to the Lord for how He's blessed us, and we're thankful for what the Lord's doing through this time of uncertainty over the teacher and maybe in terms of how that's shaping and preparing us more for it when it does get started. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll definitely keep you in prayer about that brother. Um, and Sean, I might even maybe make that a point for our next prayer meeting. Yes, absolutely. Um, at our congregation, pray for our brother in his work over in Scotland, at the school and, and, and church and such. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. Is there anything else that we could be in prayer for you guys for? Yeah, uh, well, uh, I guess maybe two or three things. I mean, first of all, so, I, I mean, my wife who's called Bingman, so she and I, we've got a, our son Amos, who's, who's four and a half. We've got a daughter, Andy, and, and she's now pregnant with our third child, which will Congratulations. be Congratulations. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Due in November. So, uh, I mean, health-wise, the first trimester wasn't that it was a bit bumpy, but not, I mean, it was manageable. And I think generally we've been thankful that the health of both mother and baby seems fine, but obviously we'd value prayer heading into that time. And I guess another thing is just praying for our nation. I mean, Hmm. one thing I've stressed from a church perspective, when we go through a time of trial, the the question we shouldn't be asking, which is what our nation is asking is, when can we get back to normal, but rather what is the Lord going to do through this? And so I guess for our nation, uh, one prayer would be that, well, we would come before the Lord in repentance, that the church would come and repent of abandoning biblical principles. And in some parts, even simply abandoning God. So, I mean, there's, there, there's much to cry out and despair for, but, also, we give praise to God for churches that have been faithfully obeying God and serving him through a time of difficulty. And it's not just 
the the COVID situation. I mean, legislation is being passed by our government in recent times, especially they they introduced a smacking ban a couple of well last year I think it was, and more recently hate speech legislation. So that's becoming increasingly difficult. I mean, we we really are feeling more and more like a, a spy state, and mm-hmm. Christian biblical values are in large parts now passionately rejected and it makes it all the more crucial that the church of jesus christ is unwavering in boldness in proclaiming the gospel and reaching people with this truth i mean that's something where many people have been overly afraid of sickness and death in such a time we want to communicate well we've got hope beyond the grave and Mm. the church absolutely has to be standing and upholding that so that would be my prayer for our church and other churches and that we as a church in this nation would come in repentance before the lord amen Amen. well brother we will definitely keep you in prayer we we want to thank you for uh joining us today and for sharing what's going on in scotland um again check out no you're very welcome and to our listeners uh go to uh grace baptist church aberdeen it's grace Aberdeen.org, and you can see the building fund uh, link at the top and learn more information on how to support uh, the work our brother and Daniel are doing over there. Again, brother, thank you for joining us today, and we'll talk to you soon.